We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a It's that time of year. It is arguably the most romantic time in all of football, the time that gets all of our hearts beating, the time that gets our interest at fever pitch. And we felt we had to do a podcast to celebrate this momentous occasion. Of course, it is transfer season. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I am reliably informed that when this comes out, there will be some kind of football tournament kicking off. But who the fuck cares? Because... There's transfers. We've done one. We've done it. We did a transfer. Arsenal did a transfer. It looks like Arsenal may do other transfers, so we want to discuss all of that. So here's what we're going to do. Quick rundown. We're going to talk about the transfer we did, the transfers we think we're doing, the transfers we want to be doing, and then we're going to maybe touch on quickly what's happening over at Liverpool. Not that anyone cares because they suck, but... There may be some comparisons and, and maybe some contrast to be drawn between the clubs and how they're operating, how we're trying to operate. So we'll take a quick look at that. And the people who will do that, because it wouldn't be me, God knows, are Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Great to be talking to you guys again. Missed you terribly. Um, I miss you too. Yeah, no, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for saying it anyway. Uh, so, look, let's dive into felt, the transfer we did. I felt pressured. <laughs> I, I, look, it doesn't have to be genuine. It just has to be said. By the way, give us a five-star review and use that as your guiding principle. It doesn't have to be genuine. It just has to be five stars. Um, Clive, what do you make of the Licksteiner transfer? I think there are some people that used it as a chance to throw their toys out of the pram and said if Arsene Wenger's first transfer was a 34-year-old, blah, 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 blah. But... Let's put the hysteria to one side. 
what do you make of the first transfer of the Unai Emre era? Mm, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, we needed it, didn't we? We sat here for many months moaning by the fact that Bellerin could not get rested. In turn, he had to play even before big sort of semi-final games. So we need that player. And it's interesting that people are starting to talk about the type of players that we're buying. You know, <clears throat> robust men that have been around, can add a bit of leadership, maybe add some voice. We can't say we didn't need that player. We don't need that type of player. And, um, so, yeah, I, I've always liked him. He's always been one of those evergreen Peter Pan type fullbacks that knows his way around. When he comes on the pitch, you re, you sort of remember him, recognise him. So, yeah, I've always liked him. And I think it's a strategic buy for a period in our history where we are. And, um, yeah, I don't look at it any, any broader than that. I think we know Bellerin needs support. We know that he's going to be our first choice, I presume. And um, the second choice has got to be somebody that maybe can do 20 to 25 games and somebody who's 34 experience, when he comes in, you don't lose something, you gain something. I think it makes a lot of sense until somebody younger comes through. Yeah, and, and I think you have to say, it's also kind of fun to sign a player where you go to YouTube and you look at the comps and half of them are in black and white. So that was kind of fun. I uh, haven't had that happen before. But no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think anybody getting bent out of shape about this we have major squad needs. I think we'd all agree with that. And I think we'd probably even agree with where those needs are. Goalkeeper, center back, central mid, maybe a wide forward. Those are major needs that require major spending. And there's only so many resources. And so to bring in an experienced player at the tail end of his career who can help educate a very youthful defensive group now between you know Bellerin and Chambers, maybe if he's still here, and Holding and Mavropanos and players like that, and even Mustafi, and help educate, help instill a winning mentality. I know that's a lot of you know, uh, cliche stuff, but do that. Give a little bit of his wisdom. Play the Europa League. Play the Carabao Cup. Play the FA Cup. Play the odd home game. Um, and, and get him for free and not pay him outrageous wages. And then if we do wind up selling Bellerin, okay, now we have to go out and get a starter at right back. I don't think there's a problem with that. And let's remember, Hector Bellerin is a young, talented fullback on a long-term contract. It is not easy to sign someone to be a backup right back who knows full well that they are arguably the backup, and that's not going to change. So, you know, there's not a lot of players in the market that want that that role. So, I mean, Paul, is that is this the correct take, that this is the club just being pragmatic and swiftly addressing a minor need as cost-effectively and with as much experience as possible? Yeah, plus swap it the other way around. If it was the last deal of the season after we got everything sorted, there'd be no issue. Everybody would say, oh, great, a tick in the box. But that's what this is. It's a tick in the box. Uh, he's on a free. That's a quick deal. Uh, either all sides are interested or they aren't. So you don't leave that till the end of the season to see if he's still there. So, you know, in, in I understand why people were getting twitchy, but I mean, fuck it. Um, it, it. It was a guy in a free, ready to move, exactly what we needed for the position. Uh, you know, shoot us for doing that quickly in our first deal. I mean, we just got it out of the way and done. So, um, and in the past, we've been accused of dillying and dallying. I mean, Johnny Evans was what, what on a, uh, basically an, a, a free, a, a three million buyout clause, and he moved quickly too. So, uh, you know, these are quick deals. You move on, get it done. Uh, you don't have the headache. You don't have to worry that, about that position anymore. And you can focus on the more complicated deals, which are going to happen kind of early to midsummer, and even on those as we're about to talk it seems like we're moving quickly and decisively so i don't know what's to complain about 
unless you feel like complaining. Yeah, and, and there certainly seems to be a plan. The more exciting signings and attempted signings will come to, like Torreira, uh, maybe the erstwhile Adley signing uh, we can get into. But we got to address the center back situation. I think we have to stay with the defense for a bit. The next signing that seems the closest, although maybe the Torreira signing is that one, Torreira, to- Torreira? Uh, but we'll come to that, is Socrates. And if nothing else, I think he will help our footballing philosophy. Boom. 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 <laughs> Come on. You loved it. Um, Fuck but, off. <laughs> but, Clive, um, this is one that I'm a little oh, more... Oh, Clive again. <laughs> well, I mean, we did just hear from you. And you did just... By the way, you, you've told me to, to fuck off. I got to agree with you. And, yeah, you sorry. told the listeners to fuck off. I mean, do, do you want to tell Clive and just make it a, make it a, a whole thing? I outed Clive yesterday, so I'm not going to say a word uh, to him. No idea what's happening now. Okay, so Clive... He's always fa- off to me. Don't as far as... Good, good. Someone has to be. Everybody else loves you too much. So as far as Socrates goes... I, I am more uh, ambivalent on this one. How do you feel if Socrates does, in fact, become our first central defensive signing of the summer? Yeah, look, it's, just, it's all about what you think we need, right? So, I've you know I've watched too many games where I feel we have not been competitive. So again, you know, Lichtenstein and Socrates, what what they are is they're competitive animals, right? So you've heard me talk multiple times about the fundamentals, right? And I think. We're too soft, we're too nice, we're not robust enough, we don't compete. Straight away, you've got two men there that want to compete. You know, I looked at some of his videos, I'm now a Socrates expert, and I did sort of say to a few people that <laughs> he does remind me a lot of Mustafi's videos of a couple of years ago when we were looking to buy him. Right side centre-back, lots of slide tackles, big collisions, but he's just a bit bigger, a bit stronger, a bit more robust, and a bit more sort of experienced. And... and People were complaining about his form, and but maybe he always knew he was on his way out, so he was in sort of departure lounge. I always liked him a couple of years ago, but I just like the fact he's a fighter, and it'd be interesting to see who we partner him with. I think, I think sometimes we look at these individuals so closely, but really, it's who we partner him with, how we play, and how we put people in front of him. Because we've seen a lot of centre-halves go through this club, right? And not one of them has really been protected for a long time. And I know we're going to get on to the midfield, but I think how we compete, how we create pressure to make sure our centre-backs are not always getting people passing through their area with time on the ball. I think it's more of a team thing, more of a team-shaped thing. But to have potentially two defenders come in, there's a third one we are young Turkish lad that we're potentially looking at. Can you pronounce um, it for me so when I have to say uh, it, I sound like an expert? I, 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 I can't. Se, se, um, se, 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 take a look something or other. Uh, se, it's se, easier if you're <laughs> pouring beer into both sides of your mouth at the same time. Um, I, I, well, d- just yeah, to, the, to the kid from call, Freiburg. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, the kid from Freiburg. And again, if you look at him, everything is about competitiveness. Everything is robust. Everything is quite physical. You know, quite dominant, and I and I love players like that who that want to dominate their opponent when they walk on the pitch. And I think it's something that we don't do enough. I don't think we want to make people feel uncomfortable. And players like this, you know, when you look at their YouTube's, I don't look at you know where the pass goes and what the tackles are like. I look at their default behaviour and what they what they go to, and all of them want to fight. They all want to fight. Passes go astray. Mistakes will happen, tackles will be missed, but their default is win jewels, I'm going to fight you, I'm quick enough to stay with you, 
I'm strong enough not to be moved off the ball. I won't be intimidated. And with those sort of key fundamentals, then we got a chance to build a platform, which we've missed. You know, we don't score enough and we can see too many. So, again, I'm I'm hopeful. And again, we don't know enough how we're going to play. But I do think from a defensive point of view, those type of individuals that come to fight, I'm, I'm supportive. Yeah, and, and Paul, as far as the, the pairing and the partnership, I mean, my concern with Socrates is unlike Licksteiner, this looks like a guy who comes to the club to play immediately. Um, a 30-year-old center back coming off, from what I understand from Bundesliga observers, one of his worst seasons, he's coming in to be the anchor of this defense, potentially with Mustafi, um, unless you think that Turkish person whose name is beautiful and Chug-a-lug. challenging... To, to pronounce and we respect cultures here so I'm not going to go do what Paul just did um, but uh, I mean unless you think he's going to come in and partner with Mustafi or they're going to partner each other it is the reason for concern here unlike the Licksteiner deal that center back is a major area of need this is a player on the sort of downward part of the age curve who's who had a bad season and now has to come in and be a starter no no it's not so, so tell me why I shouldn't be concerned about that because I would love to well, know that and then apply that yeah. to my life all right. Um, so there's a clear strategy here. Find players from the Bundesliga who's everybody's on a bit of a downer with. Who played for Dortmund? Bat. Yeah. Who played or, for Dortmund? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Bernd Leno for, uh, what was it, Bayer Leverkusen? Yep. So uh, both had one of their poorer seasons and both on the downward arc. So I see what we're doing here. Buy low, sell high. Um, so. Um, no, I, I like Socrates from this standpoint. I mean, he could be shit, right? He could be the next Mustafi, and by that I mean the Mustafi that everybody says Mustafi is rather than the Mustafi. Or heaven forbid, the next Squalachi or the next Sylvester. Yeah. We've we've had yeah. a few. <laughs> yeah, because I'm still bivalent on Mustafi. Uh, I, I think there's mileage left in him, but he needs a more senior centre back beside him, and he ended up being the the the. Uh, senior centre-back for much of the season, and pairing with the younger lads. So I see the logic of Socrates. Uh, I agree with Clive on the bigger voices in the dressing room, the experience. Sanya was talking about it this week, and we know it's an issue. There aren't those additional characters. Well, the team is getting plenty experienced, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That age age bracket's nudging up. (laughs) Yeah, you're not normally that positive about it, so that's that's good. (laughs) That's good, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's nice to see a couple of big characters. I, I uh, I mean, assuming Socrates turns out not to suck and is actually very good, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, he's going to pair with younger centre-backs for, for much of the season, depending on who else comes in. And the younger lads, you know, we're bringing in potentially two, a 20-year-old with Mavropanis and a 21-year-old with uh, sen- uh, culturally sensitive Chugalug. And, uh, you know, we got Holding or Chambers, I think, my bet is we'd hold holding sell chambers if we need some dollars. Well, there's but, certainly rumors about that. I mean, that seems a little yeah. crazy to me unless we are buying both of those center backs, though. And, and I mean, even yeah. then, it's those yeah. two new guys who have never played for us. Mustafi yeah. and Holding and Mavropanos, who's you know played one and a half games, and Koscielny, whose career might be done. I mean, it still looks thin to me. It, it still looks thin to me. Uh, almost regardless of what we do, unless we really believe in Mustafi and we're keeping him, or we really believe in Chambers. And, uh, you know, if I had to bet on one of those two, I'd keep Mustafi and sell Chambers. Not everybody's pick. Yeah, well, and maybe you look at, like, a Nacho as an emergency center back, you know, something yeah. like that. So. Yeah. All right, so, so then... We got enough, we got yeah. enough there. We? I mean, would you sell Chambers, we Clive? Don't get, we, when we, you know I would. 
right? Yeah. And um, and it's interesting that it's not Liverpool coming in for him, it's Fulham and teams like that, right? And so right. I know we want to be positive about our players. We want to we want them to succeed. And but He had I, a good I, run at the tail end of the now, isn't he? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, everybody talk right now. Uh, One, two, three, five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. We want him to succeed, right? We want to see the best in them, and I'm, I do the same. So I'm not criticizing anybody. And and he has improved towards the end of the year. And I did say he's been, he's fattened up for a sell, right? He's a, he's a 20 million pound player at a team like Fulham, uh, maybe you know something like Leicester or something like that. If Maguire goes. And, and he's a middle of the Premiership type player, and um, and and that's where he is. I, I just don't see him taking us to the promised land. It's not a criticism. He's just that's where I think his level is. When I look at Marfa Panos, who potentially is not quite as experienced as him and not quite as good. But if you look at his height, look at his speed, look at his power, look at his strength, there's a lot to work on there. So when you buy a player like that, you promise them minutes. So you don't need a stack of people in front of him. Right, so you need to make sure that there's opportunities for him to play. So he needs to get 20 games this year, and and maybe five of those games really mean something. Right, so and in the next two years, I think his potential is way higher than you know, potentially holding and James. So holding, I would keep, um, but then I would definitely look. At, um, uh, selling chambers just to recoup some sure. funds. Yeah, and I mean, look, we're going to have to raise some. We're going to have to raise some funds because we have a lot of business to do. And the mooted fifty million pound war chest, if you want to, that's more like a fifty million pound uh, coin purse. That means something else in England, doesn't it? Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, is is not going to get all the all the business done. What what I would say, and and Paul, I think this is where I'm I'm willing to be much more optimistic. Well, I have my concerns about Socrates and you know what we're doing with the central defense. I think we are all of the opinion that maybe Arsene Wenger wasn't always the best at organizing and marshalling the defense, and that tactically we may get a lot of improvement just from the system. Um, that will give us a much better understanding of what we have on our hands in players like Mustafi, for example, like Kolasinac, for example, like a Socrates. Um, and that yeah, it was very difficult like to be a check. like a check. It was very difficult to be an effective center back at Arsenal for the better part of the last decade. And so I, I'm almost willing to give them a flyer for whoever they bring in and, and then see where it goes from there. Now, real quick, let's touch on the goalkeeping issue then. I mean, do you, Leno is the guy that, that there's being talked about. I, you know, I genuinely don't know whether this rates sort of like a one or a 10 on the bullshit scale, but I mean, Paul, is that someone that you would be encouraged to see come in? I've seen a lot of uh, not-so-great things written about the season he's had, that he, he has a big mistake in him, uh, or maybe more than one. Uh, is, is he someone that you'd be excited to see us come in? Would he come in as the number one, do you think? So, I mean, I'd imagine Czech's going to start the season as the number one, but it's the one position you don't want necessarily too much competition in. We It hasn't exactly paid dividends at Liverpool uh, even though they settled that issue. But Did they, they ever have any high-profile goalkeeping ricks that I should know about? No, no, no? everything's okay. been cool and smooth there. Good. So uh, my guess would be uh, Czech starts the season as number one. Um, but, I mean, it's got to be, as they say, up for grabs. So uh, Le- I don't think Leno is coming here to uh, be a solid number two. Um, and although they're never going to say, sorry, you're number two, it, it's in the discussions and in the language. And, of course, him and Mislintat will have had good heart-to-hearts, so they, they certainly have an understanding. So 
he's obviously targeted at the number one spot, but not necessarily at day one. He it may be one of those checks to lose kind of thing. And of course, lots of people listening are convinced check will lose it. So well, you I'm know not what, as Paul, convinced. Well, if Unai Emre does maintain the the cupkeeper idea that that we've seen not just be prevalent at Arsenal but at other clubs, there are so many games that if you are the second keeper at a big club, you'll play a lot. You know, maybe not yep. in the competitions you'd want to be playing in, but if you play well, then the roles will just reverse. Um, yeah, plus, so, yeah. I, I mean, the other big factor will be style of keeper, not just, you know, who's in form and who's not making big, big mistakes. Uh, you got to think the reason we're bringing in somebody like Leno is because in that league and and with that kind of player, they're good with ball to feet, which... Uh, Czech, I would say, has worked hard on it over the last couple of years. It's he's not tried to change suit, his game. Yeah. Yeah. Not a strong suit, and it's, you know he's thirty-six. So that could be the the logic for why you bring that guy in. As as Emery does, it might not be day one. He wants to play it out from the back, but as as Emery develops his style, he might want two styles of keeper. Yeah, I mean, Clive, I I think that keeper is one of those areas where I'm fine with a budget solution because. They're a little bit unpredictable, and a lot of it has to do with the defense yeah. in front of them. But we've also seen with David De Gea at United that they can literally change your entire league fortune through their performances. So would you have preferred to see us go you know, to the stratosphere for someone like an Allison or something like that? Or are you, are you fine with spending 15 20 on someone like Bern Leno? Yeah, I'm okay with it. I think um, it's more important that we change the culture in the team. And um, I think some of the people that we're, you know, we spoke about earlier... They're, they're serious men, and I think we need that change. We need that change in competitive culture around the group and accountability. So the goalkeeper, he's 26, Czechy's 36, so that's in the post, right? So the future's set. What I've seen of him, again, a little bit of research, um, he seems a fast goalkeeper. By that, I mean he's got fast hands, fast movements, very agile, you know, big dive. He's a spectacular goalkeeper that can make saves that you don't expect him to make. But I've, you know, I've read also that he's got a mistake in him, like every goalkeeper has. He's got a weakness from shots from distance. He's very good at the old Peter Smeichel type one-on-one star shapes, saves, and um, very good at the spectacular. If you think about Arsenal, we're going to have the ball a lot. And sometimes we, you know, sometimes we need a keeper that makes saves that he shouldn't make, if that makes sense. Am I wrong to say that, that in the Premier League, Maybe more than anything, you need a keeper that commands his area well, though, because of the, the way smaller yeah. clubs like to you know get the ball into the mixer, so to speak, and and uh, try to score from set plays. Yeah, that's that's becoming. Le- I hear what you're saying. I, I think that's becoming less of a uh, an issue. I mean, England about to go in with a goalkeeper that's six foot, that's quite small, but it's very agile and and can move the ball well with his feet. For every ten touches a goalkeeper has, you know, eight are with his feet. So that's a that's becoming the modern game now. So you need a Good point. You need an athlete in goal. You need somebody that looks like a footballer. And Peter Cech, who's a great goalkeeper, he's maybe a goalkeeper of another time. And I think what we're going to find more and more are goalkeepers that would do well in the five-a-side. And that's what Leno is. I look at him and I and my gut tells me he's six foot two, six foot three. And I look at him and he looks light. He looks really slim, really light. But he's very fast. And again, if you go back to Midland Tat's sort of mantra, he likes to buy players with huge upside so i look at him and think well i'd rather you be too light than too slow and not agile because we can make you stronger we can get you in the gym and and do those get those pectorials bigger and we can make you more robust but we can't 
we, we can't make you faster, if you see what I mean. We yeah. can't add that natural agility. So again, Peter Chet's got number one shirt. He'll be there. They'll rotate the games. That's all that counts. He's 26, which means he's basically 19 as an outfield player. So he's got plenty of time to develop. And I hope he's Arsenal and I hope he does well. Yeah, I, I am fine with it. I Look, I, I have read things that scare me about it, but I think that given the issues that have to be addressed that require resources, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat where I am with the Licksteiner thing with this. I, I just don't know how you project goalkeeper performances from one club to the next. I mean, you, you can genuinely see when a keeper is bad, but I'll give you a great name. Lucas Fabianski. Did anyone at Arsenal think Fabianski would go on to have a creditable career? And he really has. He's been an excellent goalkeeper for Swansea, and he was a comical goalkeeper for us who at times made Manuel Almunia look good. So I, I am I am loath to project goalkeeper performances from one club to another, and I think that we seem to be and addressing it's notoriously it. hard to come up with stats for keepers. Everybody in the stats game says that. So who knows what stat DNA sees or whoever or yeah. Sven and, and the boys see and in fair, a keeper. Let's be honest. I mean, stats really don't matter. Like, you just need to have passion and power and pace yeah. is what I've been told. Good. So it should be fine. Yep. Look, uh, I think we have to get to the, the headline deal, the blockbuster deal, the one that mm-hmm. everybody's sort of talking about right now and, and appears to be creeping closer after for a while, looking like agent uh, playing us to get more money from another club. But now it does seem to be the case that we are we are close to signing Torreira, Uruguayan um, midfielder, and it really isn't a transfer window until you have – who's someone's following on Twitter and the Uruguayan radio uh, host ITK stuff. And it's all, it's all popping off. Apparently Torreira now follows Arsenal on Twitter and we've had our Uruguayan radio sportscaster ITK moment. So we really are at peak transfer klaxon right now. So Paul, I'll stick with you just for a second. Let's first of all talk about who this player is. Now, I, I think none of us are Syria experts, so let's dive deeply into him as though we are and speak with yeah. an incredible amount of authority about this player. Who is okay. who is this this Uruguayan midfield maestro we are after? So my sources tell me he's Uruguayan. He's 22, born in February, if I remember right. Though I got Callum Chambers wrong. He's actually 23 years old. But I was only two years off on one of our own players we've had forever. So that's how good I am. Um, yeah, he's really good. So uh, I looked uh, I looked at him myself for a bit and came back with my own opinion of what players he was like. People were talking about variety and blah, blah, blah. And I came up with two players, and it turns out it was the same two players almost everybody else ended up comparing him to. I, I decided he was like about 80% N'Golo Kante and 80% uh, Santi Cazorla in terms of their their best abilities. So he's not he can't quite do everything Santi can do at the same level, but he's got a good chunk of it. He's, re- I mean, what were we looking for at this place, at this position? You're looking for somebody who's really good under pressure, uh, being pressed. Press-resistant, uh, technical yeah. on the ball, still can, yeah. c- can have defensive involvement, you yeah. know. Yeah, can buy himself time, can create a little separation, can can dribble or jink or turn through uh, and break a line. Good passing, good clean technical, uh, you know, quick, uh, nippy, uh, reasonable physical size. Okay, he doesn't have that, but apparently he makes up for it with, with his wiriness, kind of young Jack Wilshireness uh, using his body. 
Um, so, I mean, he looks great. And especially, you know, Emery talks about using a, a 4-1-4-1 at times. So you need a guy who can be that one. And he can. we'll discuss who does what, but he could certainly be a tremendous option for the guy that buys everybody else the space to move a little further upfield. Um, and, you know, he plays uh, a diamond for Sampdoria. Uh, last two seasons, he's played 35 and 36 starts in Serie A, which is amazing uh, for a guy who just arrived. 20, so that would have been when he was 21, 20, 21, 22. And uh, plays every minute when he plays. So he plays the full 90. He's got 3,000 minutes both seasons. I mean, that's phenomenal. We do, the only player we have in that category is Sanchez, and we sold him. Um, you know, Chak is, I guess, playing at that run rate, but he didn't play the first season all the games, as you were continually reminding us, Elliot. So um, the guy can, play, can put in the minutes, can put in the, the, the games, and uh, it's going to be really... Uh, the other thing we were looking for was a player who could match up with all the other players in our midfield, because we've got three, four, five really good players, but no pieces that, fix to, that connect to him. And this seems to be that guy. And the last thought is, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, that's, that's potentially the same spot. This guy's only 18 months older than him and is a real target for Maitland-Niles, who has maybe even greater physical gifts, maybe not greater skills, uh, really great skills, but maybe not greater than Torreira. Maybe you're saying uh, his athleticism is superior? Yeah, yeah. But but the, when you see the mentality of this Torreira guy, that's what Maitland-Niles needs to match, the intensity, the 90-minute the focus, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's a fascinating thing. I hope they don't take this one away from me and make me cry again. Yeah, I, I'd be over the moon with this, Paul. This, this, is, this is a dream signing for me, and I'll explain why in a moment. But, Clive, I have so many questions uh, to ask you about this now that Paul's done talking. So... Um, the first, the first one is just your your take on the player. How excited are you for him, and and what do you think of his skill set? Yeah, he 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 looks good. And when he first when he first kicked off a couple of weeks ago, I didn't I didn't know anything about him. But people who I respect were just going off straight away. Were really excited. So I did a bit of research, like Paul's done. And again, it's interesting that Sam Doria do play with diamonds, and he plays at the base of the diamond and. Fair enough, I don't see him at the base of our diamond. Though I'd love to to see us play a diamond. I really would love to see a four diamond too because I think we've got the, the players for that. But I think if he was in England, I think he would play maybe to one of the sides. But again, what does he bring? And you often hear me talk about you know the ability to win races and that's, that's his key strength. And I've always had this thing in my mind in, up until recent years where I wanted a big defensive midfielder and and really that's really just my own sort of um, insecurities really I want somebody big and strong and fast that makes sure we doesn't we don't get a beat up but really what are you really after in the modern game it's your ability to repeat sprints and get to the ball first that's what really counts and do it again and again and again and when you have the ball have the ability to move be agile move with the ball carry the ball and make people sit back into their into their blocks. And, and if we do get pressed up on him, he's got the ability and agility to move away from that. He can carry it. And I think it's a very important skill set. And my favourite type players can can do that. You know, players I always like can get the ball in different areas and they can move and they can challenge their opponent. And I really like that about him. And again, what's really encouraging 
is that the management have worked out what we need very, very quickly. And they worked out what we need from the back. I know we haven't got them signed yet, so we're making some assumptions, but they've worked out what we needed defensively. They want robustness. They want men. They don't want anyone who's going to be taking liberties with. And in midfield, we've got a number of nice midfielders. We have some midfielders with potential. We have some midfielders at the right age. I think we're going to lose one potentially, but we'll see. But what we really lack is that connector, that sprinter, that somebody with agility that connects it all together, that glue-type player. So I wouldn't actually want him to play at a base of any team. I want him to be right in the centre of the team with all of our players around him, connecting all of our good players like Ozil, Mkhitaryan and Ramsey. Players that he can find, right, in short spaces, short, if we're nice and compact with short passes. But then when we lose the ball, he's got the ability to tackle. His interception rate is really, really high. It's not just about tackling, it's about reading the game, intercepting and transitioning. Transitions mean you're catching teams when they're most disorganised. So this is the type of player that makes a team tick. And he was given that responsibility at Sampdoria at the age of 21, 22, which is a huge responsibility. Also, he won't have to shoulder that. He'll just be put in a nice armchair with players like Shaka and Ramsey, Ozil, Mkhitaryan around him that are equally adept on the ball, but maybe lack some of that two-way ability that he will bring. And again, I'd like to see more two-way players in our team to allow us to overcome teams that make us work backwards. So this guy seems to have that. So that makes me really, really hopeful. He sure looks like someone who could be exactly what Shaka's crying out for, uh, who can receive the ball deeper and get out of the press and, and be press resistant, who can you know, put in a challenge and let Shaka do more of that sort of uh, quarterbacking role, for lack of a better way to put it. I know some yeah. people hate that analogy, but I, th- I think it works. I, I guess the question is, and I'll let either both of you get a chance at this. I mean, Clive, we'll start with you. The, the thing I, I start to struggle to understand is how we are going to set up if you think that Ramsey is staying. If it's Torreira, Shaka, Ramsey, Ozil, I mean, how do you find a way to play them all? I don't. I honestly, you know me, Elliot. Well, you, I, I think we sell Ramsey for a bag of magic I, I, beans. I, I know that, but no, I, I would. I would do what's right for the club. You, you can't look. Oh up, come you know, on! I, that makes me sound uh, like saying can, I wouldn't do what's right for the club, which everyone knows I would no, not. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to sound like that. I think, <laughs> no, no, I'm um, just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. It's, uh, I think. Yeah, you know, I my issues, you know, with certain players. It's not the players' talent. It's how they operate and how they're allowed to operate. So I've got a completely clean sheet because. What we don't know is the accountability structure the manager's going to bring. I'm so looking forward, not just to seeing players, but I'm so looking forward to seeing what players are allowed to get away with because we've seen these players for many years now. have got good sample size. And we know that when they want to do it, they can do it. They can do it all. They can be disciplined. They can have their distances right. They can drive teams back. What they haven't got is when they have a bad day, they're allowed to get away with it. And they're back in the team the next week. And so I'm not saying we need to sell this person, that person. I want to see real accountability based on how a manager wants to play. I'm hopeful we'll be better off the ball. And I'm hopeful that if you don't do those jobs that he wants you to do, that you will spend time sitting next to the manager on the sideline with a jacket on. Right? That's what I'm hoping for. Or no jacket on, see, for that matter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to see players that... And I'm not blaming those players because they were allowed to get away with it in the culture that was allowed to manifest with Arsene Wenger. So I'm trying to almost reset my views on the players because 
I think they should be judged with a new boss in town and see what they can produce. And I think it's in there. Um, and I don't want to say we need to do this or do that. I'm really, really hopeful with the players that we are focusing on, that they seem to have some fundamental attributes, which I think are going to benefit us and allow the major to create an identity which suits his style of play. Going back to your original question, which I think I faded away from slightly. <laughs> everyone, everyone assumes everyone assumes we're going to play a 4-2-3-1 because that's what he did at Seville, but he didn't do that at PSG. He played a 4-3-3 primarily because of the players that he had. He played there and I loved what he did there. And so I, we're making these assumptions without really knowing what's coming. And again, that's the exciting thing. So people are thinking that Torreira is going to be a part of double pivot with um, potentially Shaka and then Ramsey will be pushed further forward and Ozil off one side and Mkhitaryan off the other and Aubameyang up front. Yeah, it looks nice. It could work. But um, I'm, I'm very open-minded about what we've well, got look. coming. He's got a little variety in him, too. And, I mean, I, I think the assumption you're right is that he'll be a double pivot with Shaka. But I don't think it's out of the question that it spells trouble for Shaka if Ramsey stays. Because if he wants to play that similar flying V, he could put Ramsey and Ozil into that midfield with Torreira at the base of that V and move up the pitch that way. Um, because, you know, I mean, that, that gives him a little more running and mobility. You've got two attack-minded and and hard well, I was going to say hard running, but attack running uh, midfielders in Ramsey and Ozil, and then Torreira, you know, make stick keep the glue that keeps it all together at the base of it, similar to what Verratti did at PSG. Now, and what intrigues? Elliot, yeah, go is ahead, please, Paul. Part part of the Unai Emery's pitch apparently to Gazidis, and maybe it's all marketing, was that Unai Emery had a plan for Ramsey, Ramsey, yep, and Ozil. Now, hopefully. You don't come away from that, and his plan was to sell Ramsey, <laughs> or I or have to a, play Ozil the centerpiece of my Arsenal plan is Ramsey, selling him for a lot of money and replacing him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I don't know if it's a flying V with the two of them ahead of it, but it does intrigue you to think if he comes back and says, "Yeah, I'm going to do what we did last year," that's not a very compelling story. So, uh, no, you, can't you, sell you make Ramsey. a great point. Yeah, just just changing the guy who's in the double pivot with Shaka do, is not really changing anything. I mean, of course it can, because I think a lot of people have felt that Santi Cazorla was the missing ingredient for this. But it, you know, Mesut Ozil is one of those tough players. I mean, he is a luxury yeah. player. He, he, he doesn't fill a specific tactical role. And so you put him in the midfield and you feel light in, in midfield in terms of teams that want to contest midfield. And you need someone who's press resistant to do that. And Torreira gives you that and Shaka doesn't. And so if it's not a double pivot, I mean, I'm sorry, but we, we have all said on this podcast that Shaka doesn't work further up the pitch. He has to be deeper where he can spray those passes to the wings, where he can play the long balls, the line-breaking, intermediate value passes, as Arsene Wenger used to call them. It really is interesting, but I, I love the idea of getting this guy, and I want to expand on that for a second, but Clive, it sounded like you wanted to come back in there. So before I yeah, go on a roll here, why don't, you, yeah, why don't you <laughs> climb back in, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, just give you my opinion of why this is such a strategically important move for us. Okay, cool. So for me, um, we naturally try to accommodate names. I, mean, I can hear it in your voice. We all do it. What's going to happen to Ramsey? What's going to happen to us? Or what's going to happen to Lacazette? What's going to happen to this player? We naturally accommodate. And I just want to, I'm looking forward to when that changes and when people have got to really compete to play. And just for example, you know, we think we're trying to squeeze people in right now. But what if we were to buy a pacey wide man? Yes. Because that that would absolutely send people crazy because then they would know something has got to change. 
Something we fundamental has got to change. If we were to buy that speed out wide, because we need that second speedster, you know, to need that second person up front to work with the centre forward. So unless we go for Diamond 2 and play our two forwards that we know and love, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure if he's going to do it. If he does it, then fair play. That's the best, that's the quickest way to roam with this squad. Right? So, but if he doesn't, he goes 4 2 three, one, He needs speed on one side. And that's going to really put some of our favourites under real pressure because they cannot mimic what a speedster can do, a dribbler, a carrier, a Theo Walcott replacement from the right or left, depending on which side you favour. So um, that's the future that's coming. And there's a, obviously there's rumours about Gelson Martins and there's there was a Dembele rumours a month ago, which I was I was suckered into. <laughs> that seemed to go very I quiet. specifically <laughs> said that no one should be doing that to themselves. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm weak. I'm weak, and uh, well, look, I, I, he I would be a dream, but that 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 is a dream that you should not dare to let yourself have. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's that loan deal. I had it sorted out in my mind, but hey, it's gone. It seems to have gone now. But um, but when that if a player like that arrives, then we're going to have to make some choices, right? So somebody is like a Lacazette or a or an Ozil or or a Ramsey or a Shaka. Someone's going. Well, right? so, so he, yes. So. Let, let me just say one thing to your point. I totally, totally agree with you, and I I don't think anyone could disagree with you that we want players earning their place on merit. That you cannot have a successful team where the team picks itself absent merit. But when you are an Arsenal and you give three hundred thousand pounds a week to Mesut Ozil. He's going to play, and he should play, and you do need to build a squad that gets the most out of him because what you've said with that money is you're the best player on our team, you have a talent that is rare in the game, and we need to keep you here because we can win things with you. And if you really believe that, then you have to find a way to employ a strategy that maximizes that. Um, you know, Now, I, I think there are games when he didn't deserve to be on the pitch, and I still think you'll have to manage him on merit, of course, but the system will have to get the best out of him. Let's put it this way. Any system that doesn't get something great out of Mesut Ozil probably won't get anything great out of Arsenal either, if you follow me, um, because we've, we've put a lot of resources in, into him. So we'll see how that goes. I, I just want to say one thing just about the strategy of signing Lucas Torreira and why I think it is such an important signing, assuming we get it over the line. He is 22 years old. He has a huge, huge talent. He has a release clause. So he is someone we have the resources to go get and the teams we're competing with are the teams in our bracket. So when you look at a Barcelona, when you look at a Real Madrid, when you look at a Manchester United, even a Bayern Munich to some extent, we really can't compete for the signing of, of the players they want with resources, certainly. Um, with prestige, sadly, probably not either. Uh, so it's, it's really difficult. But those teams, for the most part, not always, are going to go after two categories of player. Stars in their prime. Paul Pogba in his prime. Um, Gareth Bale in his prime, Cristiano Ronaldo in his prime, right? They're going to go after those kind of players. Or they're going to go after the very, very, very 1% of young players in the world, Kylian Mbappe, right? Neymar, th those kinds of players. So those players we can't get. But you look at a 22-year-old Torreira, and this is a guy who he's not quite ready for his Real or Barcelona move yet. And that may still be in his future at 26, 27. I mean, they've got Tony Cruz. They've got uh, Isco. You know, they don't, they don't need to go get a 22-year-old midfielder. But, <clears throat> excuse me, someday they might want him. But right now, who are the teams competing for a player like this? Dortmund, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, 
uh, Atletico Madrid, you know, that, that caliber of club. And we can not well, only been, compete. Elliot, we've been slightly below that club recently <laughs> in, in, our, in our recruitment, right? Which, so, and, um, but that's my point, Paul, Clive. That, that yep. Exactly my point is that this is what we need to do is put our foot on the throats of those clubs and say we can pay more than them. We have a better stadium than them. We have a better city than them. Come to London, come to the Emirates, make more money, develop your brand and your football here. And then at 26-27, we can fight to keep them from going to Madrid or Barcelona if possible. But that this is going to lead into our next topic, the topic of Liverpool, because this is what we failed to do. We have failed to buy in this age range effectively. The guys who are one step below the Madrid or Barca move but where we can make our leverage count. I mean, Clive, isn't, isn't that what we need to do? Make yeah. our leverage count in that group. Yeah, and we're about four years behind, right? Because we have, we we always knew that we moved into the ground and we got to 2014 and we knew that we were going to get some extra funds and we went for some higher market players, but we really forgot that mid-market. And I'm afraid Spurs, and we're going to talk about Liverpool They've jumped all over that. Spurs have done it with primarily UK players, players like Ericsson, for example. They've, they've maximised Dembele, and they've brought young, but now they have a squad with incredible high value. Arsenal have a squad with incredible high wages, but the value of our squad is actually decreasing. So we've actually thrown away um, That's well a said. couple of maybe two, three years of, of our leverage that we worked so hard to gain. Right, and went through austerity to hold it, right? So, which is a shame, but it's recoverable. And we know that we are really focused on recruitment. And I think this is just the first of a number of stages. And I do agree with you, it's a very significant signing. In four years' time, what will this kid be, right? Potentially. I know we're making assumptions, he hasn't signed yet. But you're absolutely right. He, you can imagine him in the middle of Barcelona's midfield. And guess what? We used to sell quite a number of players to Barcelona a few years ago. There's no one knocking our door for players any longer, right? So um, the only people knocking our door at the moment are Fulham. And that tells you about what what we've done. We've made some mistakes on recruitment. And now we're going to have to sell our players to Turkey or or to a mid to range club. So we've got some work to do, right? So there can't be so many additions without some subtractions. And the subtractions are coming. And it's going to be interesting to know when that happens. And, and what leverage we have in the marketplace because if we do buy these players which we're all excited about and we buy them early everyone will know we have I think we've got two or three foreign places left but everyone will know we're going to want to sell and that potentially could reduce our leverage to get the right price but um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward yeah and, and I mean this strategy just does not have a downside and you need to be buying in this band because you're paying nominal fee for a guy who has played real minutes at a real club in a real league. He comes to you looking like a sure thing, young enough to still have upside, but developed enough to play for you right now. If he develops on the path he's on, he becomes that 80 million pound asset that you can sell and reinvest, or maybe if you're lucky, keep him. But even if not, you reinvest and that's the renewal of your club. And if he doesn't pan out, if he's just okay, you don't think you can recoup the twenty twenty five million you spent on him as long as he's just an okay player at Arsenal? Of course he can. So there really is no downside to this, and we, we haven't acquired these kinds of assets that can help become the basis for the renewal of the club on the pitch and then ultimately the turning over of the squad through the sale of assets. I mean, Paul, is that is that right? Is that how you see it, that buying players in this band give you two things? They give you incredible upside on the pitch and incredible upside financially to renew your squad when the time comes. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I agree with the analysis. I, I think there's an upside to it all, which is there's a reason we got Sven, the most important signing of any club out there, uh, arguably over the last year or two beyond players. Um, you know, he loves to work. So, like, the surgeon steps up to the patient. You get out of the way, you know what I mean? So we've got this... Th- we do have this band in the middle of our team, age-wise and profile-wise, that hasn't been filled in for a few years uh, the only downside is we don't have anybody to sell at some value the upside is uh, he's kind of got a clean sheet of paper in that middle band of players and is there anybody on the planet uh, old diamond eye there who's supposed to be any better at it so i think it's pretty exciting and i think you know we'll we'll talk about liverpool maybe in dribs and drabs but one of the things they did and one of the things we saw to a degree uh, on the city side was they focused on the front end of the team, the attack and the uh, attacking midfield before worrying too much about the back end. We've done quite a bit on the back end because we really fucking needed to. Our front end's pretty good. It's a little older. Um, if we brought in a wide player who was in the 23 to 24 kind of range, um, you know, he needs to be good at one-on-ones, at really attacking, kind of like a Douglas Costa. And to me, less of a Theo Walcott, who I loved uh, on a personal and usefulness level. But I really want him to be to have a, a kind of a Pep Guardiola profile, um, which is kind of consistent from when I read all this stuff Emery said about playing in Spain. He was all about Guardiola. Uh, that was his his archetype. Not that he wanted to totally mimic it, but he took all of the lessons of Guardiola, um, both playing against him tactically and also in terms of implementation. So I can't see that he doesn't see the need for a wide forward. So we're going to be pretty stacked up front. Um, And, you know, if we get... If you look at the players we're bringing in this window, if we did this window, you look at what we did the last window, right? We brought in three players, including Mavropanos. Um, you know, two more windows, and if the moves are good, holy fuck, that's another, you know, by by next, you know, we've got something like four or five players lined up right now, and the summer isn't over. Now, maybe maybe we'll shut, shut up the doors pretty quickly, but then you got the winter and the following summer, we could that could be the best part of 10 players so things move quickly life comes at you quickly you look at spurs and how quickly they went from being dog shit to actually very interesting so it's all about the moves you make if you make good moves uh we can turn this around quickly so i think it's very uh, there's nothing guaranteed but i think it's an exciting sheet of paper for sven and Emery. I mean, the beautiful thing about Emery is that's how he's worked before. He didn't do the co- the scouting in Spain. He worked with uh, Monchi, and his attitude at PSG was the same. He didn't want to do the transfers. He wanted to do the coaching. And so this is a really nice l- lineup, really nice fit that can pay off. One yeah. hopes. <clears throat> and look, can I just say a couple yep, of please. words quickly? It's Cagliar Sonyuki. That's the Turkish centre back that we are looking at. I'm not sure if my pronunciation is correct, but Kagla Sonyuku. That's it. That's the way it is. Right? So, um, yeah, you know what? That's what I, to our listeners who actually speak that language natively or otherwise, first of all, our apologies. Second of all, find us on Twitter. 
tell us how to pronounce it. <laughs> I mean, we may not sign the guy, so it may not matter, but we certainly don't want to engage in this kind of crap anymore. That's for sure. Um, exactly. Look, it just has to show you how football is so is so amazing, right? Who'd have thought potentially we would have two Greek guys and a Turkish guy in in our defense that basically two of them we'd never heard of six months ago. But that, right? so that's the opportunity. Just, Clive, I'm going to jump on that point. I think that's such an important point because we get so hung up on there being like five names that we want to go get. There is an infinite me, amount. Well, no, you don't. And that's my point. Like, I've never been too fussed about who the targets are as long as we're addressing a need in the squad and getting a player that we believe addresses that need. I think too often in the past we have failed to address the needs of the squad. There's you know, the famous center back crisis. There was the famous summer where we only bought a goalkeeper. There were all the summers where we didn't buy a goalkeeper. Um, but we seem to be addressing needs, and we're going about it you know, in a fairly expeditious manner, which is nice. You know, I just... I look at it this way. You look at Usmani Dembele going to Dortmund and then a year later, you know, or two years later after going for whatever it was, single digits for, you know, $100 million to Barcelona. Or you look at what Liverpool have done. And I want to come on to this. So Liverpool sold Torres for $50 million. And they got made fun of a lot for how they reinvested that because Andy Carroll for $35 million. But they did get Suarez. And Suarez and Sterling begot Sala and Sané and... and Jesus. Well, they, you know, they didn't, but you know, they, they okay. didn't have, like, produce them as progeny. But, you know, they, they, they turned that into, you know, this, this crop that they have now, the Firmino and Asala and uh, Sadio Mane and Oxlade-Chamberlain, for better or worse, depending on your opinion of that, and, and Vandervaart from, you know, the Coutinho money and Naby Keita and Fabinho and the ill-fated Fakir bid, which may still happen, who knows. But... I mean, Paul, do we need to look at Liverpool? And as much as we are nauseated by them and they are terrible and they're the worst and we hate them, and obviously we have to say all that tribal shit because that's that's how football works, but when you're not Manchester United and you're not Manchester City and what Chelsea were and who knows what Chelsea are at this point, and you have to live at least within your means. Now, you have considerable means, but within your means— are they sort of showing the way to some extent for how a big club that doesn't have unlimited resources can really leverage what they do have and w- rebuild a squad in a very powerful and intelligent way? I mean, I, look, I, yeah. I don't want to overstate it. They've accomplished nothing. No. They've won no no trophies. They yeah. were in a Champions League final. They have gotten back in the top four. That's where we aspire to get to as a next step before we're back to competing for the league. So are they the model we need to follow? Yeah, I mean, fair fucks to them. They've done great, just like Spurs have done great, but they've had the good taste not to win anything. Yeah, and by so, the way, I think Spurs are a little different only because they, they got lucky with a lot of academy players at the same time, which I think that is, you can't use that model because the likelihood that your academy produces generational talent like that is slim. Yeah, but I, I've got Clive on the bench here to come in and tell you why Liverpool have been lucky in just a second. Fair enough, yep. But... Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, no, they've done great. Um, May I point out something else? They've got American owners, and we all know American owners are only after profit, and they don't want to win anything, and they're not ambitious. Well, they haven't won anything, so you just proved your point. Yeah. So I think there's a lesson here that should be encouraging to us that maybe Stan Kroenke could give a fuck. But Josh Kroenke's a younger fella. He's got some blood pumping in his veins. He's spent time over here. He's invested time with Mislintat, Emery, and uh, Raul and Ivan cooking up a plan. So he's invested. And who the fuck doesn't like winning? So 
you know, I think there's there are parallels to be drawn. Liverpool have done very nicely. Well, I think uh, more I, to your point, it's a proof that whether the owner cares or doesn't care, if you have the right team in place and the strategy is sound and you use the leverage of the extra resources you have, you can still get it done. Yes, uh, but also an American owner can get it done if, if we see Liverpool as an expense and we have an American owner. So for those who'd given up on the thoughts of ever having ambition, you know, FSG have shown ambition for some time. You could take a look at Arsenal now and say, we're not acting like people who didn't want to get really good leadership in place, uh, cutting edge and do something different uh, to make something happen here. So I see parallels there just from an organizational and a cultural standpoint. I'll, I'll let cr- uh, Clive had a, have a crack at the, the, uh, the, the philosophy uh, from a footballing standpoint, but they've clearly done a lot of things good. Um, and to me, they've built from the front and I haven't worried about having shit girl, uh, goalkeepers, so I think we can model that pretty well. Or dodgy-looking defenders, you know, build from the front. And, well, what they've uh, also and shown, get, I, and I yeah. mean, I think Klopp, Klopp deserves a lot of credit, and you're, you're hinting at this, is that with a very flawed squad, you can still get a lot done if you have an area of the pitch where you're dominant, right? I mean, Sadio yeah, Mane, Firmino... Yeah, very clear philosophy. Yeah, yeah and, and Salah, you know, with a little bit of Coutinho part of the year, was the dominant area of the pitch, and they, they used that to become a huge advantage for them. I mean, Clive, what do you say to the people who say, well, Liverpool haven't won anything, so their project is useless? Yeah, that just justifies that um, they haven't got anything to show for what they've done. But since Klopp's come in, I think they showed, a, there's a great graphic on Twitter which showed his first 11, and then they showed the 11 that went to Champions League. I think there's one player in it. So he's had a complete renewal. He's, you know, I think he, I think he had a young kid called Flanagan playing fullback when he started. And I don't. I think he might have been just been released. Right, he had some problems off the pitch, so things change very fast in football. And Klopp's been the he has been their catalyst for change, and he's been supported by the ownership. Right, so but what he has done, which I do admire, he's got a system which we all know, and he buys players for that system. And so the moment we see a player bought, you know, we can all see where he's going to play. You know, so everybody's fit. Everyone, you know, he buys as many two-way players as possible. He respects off the ball game, and he's got as many sprinters as he can possibly get. When he he's got a weakness at centre back, so he overpaid for the best centre back in the league, and he's got him in there. Done, seventy million, no problem. So they're in a different place to us. So we're probably a couple of years ahead of us. We're buying. We're renewing the squad now. Potentially, we're going to have a group of 29 North, and then we're going to have a group of 23 South, right? And then, and we're we're really looking at you know we're looking at Ramsey, Shaka potentially in that middle groove space, and Mustafi, and you know depending on who you like, there's debates on all of them, right? So it's that middle area that I think we're going to have to invest in the next couple of windows at 25 to 26, but potentially we will stay at the 22, 23 range and wait for them to develop. So we're a different place. They've got they've got fortunate with some sales, but I'd say they got fortunate with some sales. But a lot of that was based on talent. So you can't deny Suarez's talent. Maybe that could have been our sale, but his talent was there. Best player in the league, gone, 80 million. Coutinho, yes, the price was never going to be 130, wherever it turns out to be. But once Neymar goes for 190, 
they're going to get their money. And they can reinvest that in. They don't mind they're paying 20 million more for Van Dyke because they got 50, 60 million more than for Coutinho than they expected. They can go early on Cater and they can go and buy Fabinho when Emre Can walks out the door for free. Right? So no one's perfect. They've got a goalkeeper they really try to work on and, and try to maybe not spend as much as they could do in that area. And it, it potentially costs them a, a key moment in their history. But I do like their sort of playing identity, what they're trying to do. And we can all see it. And we can't deny that um, that it's been positive for them. And, and, and with Spurs, slightly different. They've bought young and English. They, they, they invested in young English players from the lower leagues. Or they bought Dyer from abroad. They got Harry Kane come through. Goals hide sins. They haven't won anything, but they can score goals and they've got a robust off-the-ball strategy, but underpinned by a level of physicality, which is going to get them into a certain position in the league, which they need to do to support their very expensive £1 billion stadium. Right, So they're in a different model. Their model's under threat. They're going to have more revenue this year. They can potentially give Kane 140 and they can give Deli Ali a similar number. And we are about to give Aaron Ramsey 200. And that's where we are because our revenues are ahead and have been ahead for longer. I would like to see our, you know, you can't see Mkhitaryan coming at 180 and say Aaron Ramsey does not deserve to be on a similar wage. And so after thinking that through, if Aaron Ramsey stays, he deserves that money based on Arsenal's wage structure. But I would like to see a greater accountability there. But I can't help but admire what they do. But it's not perfect. And what I'm really encouraged about is that we are starting on that road again now. I really feel strongly we've been held back by the single point of failure model. And we're now, it's really interesting, the most encouraging thing about what we're seeing recently is a level of efficiency. You know, we're seeing multiple players being sought after and getting closer to the finishing line. And we can all feel it. And we can all see it. And they all have the attributes that we know we need to resolve, which I find really encouraging. So to yeah. see the model working, the depth of people working, to see people with their clear roles actually executing, I think it's really exciting. It is. And look, I know that this is just, this is not substantive, but I can't tell you how nice it is just not having to hear the sound bites of the manager saying, well, the World Cup will make transfers very difficult, and no one's focusing on that until after the World Cup. And right now, you know, players are on holiday, and so we'll talk. You know, I, look, I'm not saying Arsenal was wrong about that. I realize most of that was just not to, you know, give away anything we were doing. And it's not like we didn't make some early signings when Arsenal was here. I just, it's nice to have a different summer. You know, different quotes, different moves, different timing. It just, it just feels new, and that's nice. Look. I realize that the way tribalism works, we're not supposed to analyze other clubs in any way other than their shit, their cons, blah, blah, blah. I get that. And I'm not saying Liverpool have been perfect. And people will push back and they'll say they haven't won anything. But you build a squad, as you have said, Clive, you build a squad to compete in the league, to restore your prestige in the league, to restore your position in the league. And Liverpool have done that. And along the way, they got to a Champions League final. And they didn't win it. But to solidify and consolidate your place in the top four, to really arguably be the second best team in the league and just a freak of statistics and goalkeeping kept United above them. And to, you know, to be in a, in a Champions League final, that is credible. And I just look at them now. You know, they're buying Naby Keita. Naby Keita is probably a couple years too early for going to a Madrid, going to a Barca, going to a United or a Bayern. 
So it's perfect timing for Liverpool because they can get a Naby Keita because they have more resources than the other sort of step below clubs. And three years from now, he's an 80 million pound sale to one of the big guys. And you look at that team and they bought Salah at what, 23? Sadio Mane at 24? Naby Keita at 20, 20, what, 23 right now? Fabinho at 23? So you know they are, they are clearly using a model of by the best early 20s players in the world because we can't get the best 27, 28-year-old players in the world and then sell those players for $80 million a apiece and buy the next batch of the best 22 and 23-year-old players in the world. And look, you're going to have some flops and you're going to suffer from that. But more often than not, I think that's how a club who doesn't have United or City or Barca or Real or Bayern's money is going to have to compete. Paul, I'll let you in here with a final word in a moment. Clive, you just wanted to tack one thing onto that? Yeah, just really, well, just from Liz Steiner's um, quotes when he got signed, the way he sort of um, articulated the project that he's joining, and I know some people don't like that word project, but he said he said quite categorically, this is about repositioning Arsenal back into top four. And um, he said it's very similar when he joined Juventus five, six, seven years ago. They spent two years out of the Champions League, and the project was getting them back into the Champions League, which they did in the first year, won the league, and I think they won seven four doubles and one last seven Scudettos, right? So so I think it's interesting. We all know what the project is. It's it's top four. And some of the players that we spoke about earlier at the most more experienced defensive players, they are the insurance policy for the younger players. They are the ones that are going to give us the consistency to get us those league results, to get us back in the top four, to underpin some of the younger players, to make some younger players rest when they have dips. And I think those players are equally as important as some of the younger talents that we're excited about. So we are excited, but let's hold our horses here. No 22-year-old can play 50 games and play it really well, unless you're Ryan Setting on at Fulham. But basically, no one else can do that, right? So you've got to, you've got, we've got to protect them with experienced people around them and then that gets us positioned back in the top four and then from there we can increase our revenue and go back to that top table again yeah paul uh final thoughts on it uh no not really i think that covers it thanks for that content <laughs> fill, fill in <laughs> air time <laughs> i thought we did a, a very nice job there you know we, we get paid by the minute I, right I, I tell you what i did think we all owe method ozil an apology you know what I mean? We said all those things about him faking it with his back and so, well, everybody but me. I did. But the, I'll, I'll yeah. own it. I said he was faking it. Well, I didn't say he was faking it. I just said there were excuses to give him rest. Yeah. And there weren't. He was injured. Your point? So anyway, is your point that I'm a cunt? Because I'm, I'm willing to own that. I don't, I'm totally prepared to own that. At any we all moment. are. Basically, yeah. everybody said it. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, all right. Well, look, I, I think if we can get the Torreira signing over the line, it's really encouraging because... You know, I think there are two strategies at work here, really, right? There's an old-ish team that we have, and you got to play with the players you have. So I think we're leaning into that to say, maybe we can eke a season or two out of those guys that's good enough to get back in the top four. But while that's happening simultaneously, we got to start to sprinkle in those assets in the early 20s, those players who can be the future of the club, and not only the future of the club on the pitch, but then the future of the club uh, in terms of providing the resources to renew the squad. So we'll see what happens. But I think I think that signing makes me feel so much more encouraged about what we're doing because it, it lets you know there is an immediate plan and there is also a longer-term plan. And I realize that you know losing out on an Adley, Yassine Adley, is, is disappointing, but 17 isn't 22. 17 is still 
in my mind, a little bit of a crapshoot. He's not someone who's com- competing for a place right away. And so you, you don't know how that development arc is going to be. 22, having played for a big club, si- significant minutes, I, th- I think it's a, a much different situation. Anyway, that, that's an hour on transfers that I think everyone can enjoy. And considering there is the small matter of a World Cup kicking off tomorrow, I just want to take time to say I hope you enjoy the tournament. Whether you care about international football or not, uh, some football is better than no football. So enjoy it. We will definitely come back with more pods throughout the summer, just sort of unpredictably as there are things to discuss. Uh, maybe if we do get another signing or two over the line, and get everybody back on. Tim can't be here because he is paid to uh, create content for the World Cup, which is more than I can say about any of us. But uh, we will all be enjoying it, I'm sure, as well. So, Paul, thanks for being on. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thank you. Pleasure. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive, as always. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim uh, while also reading all of his content about the World Cup. Keep Tim employed. We like Tim. And uh, Scott will also come back. Maybe after we sign Torreira, we'll get some statistical analysis of him uh, from Scott as well. So enjoy the World Cup, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 